Well, hello, everybody. Welcome once again to the Nefesh Podcast, episode 21. And uh, my name is Sandy Jo Leonard. I'm excited that you're going to be joining us. And, um, you know, the title of this episode may sound a little uh, depressing, poverty and the soul. Uh, but hang in there. It, it's not meant to be depressing. It's actually meant to be, I, I think, both empowering uh, but also liberating and uh, empowering in that it, it helps us to understand how this relates to our engagement with others, our interaction with others, but also an understanding of how it relates for to our own spiritual formation. You know, uh, years ago, uh, Dallas Willard, the great Dallas Willard, he wrote a book called The Spirit of the Disciplines that I highly recommend, um, you know, when you get some time. Um, not even when you get some time. These are one of those books that even if it takes you a while to get through, it just lays the groundwork for discipleship and spiritual formation and the life to which Jesus calls us. And he devotes an entire chapter chapter on uh, to poverty. And he asks this question, you know, is poverty a spiritual thing? Is it spiritual? Is it a spiritual discipline? And he talks about, uh, you know, famous people like St. Francis of Assisi, who uh, took up a, a vow of poverty and, and others, you know, from uh, especially when you look back into the Catholic Christian Church and their um, uh, uh, priests and, and nuns and monks who take, take up these vows, vows of poverty, where they're um, essentially their whole life is devoted to the Lord and they uh, do not uh, work for for a living. They rely upon um, the goodness and the kindness of others as they devote or give back to them. And, you know, we see things like in the Beatitudes where Jesus says, blessed are the poor. Um, it's interesting that in Luke's version, he says, blessed are the poor, while in Matthew's version, he says, blessed are the poor in spirit. And there's a couple reasons uh, for that. Um, Luke seems to be writing to um, a, a different audience, and he, he throughout his gospel, if you, you notice, he will typically, well, he's attempting to reach the, the outcasts, the, those who have not been accepted by society, and, you know, he, he talks, uh, he highlights women, and he highlights Samaritans, and he highlights Gentiles, and it, it's it's as if he's attempting to speak to the very real need of the people. Um, and so instead of saying, blessed are the poor in spirit, as if to say, uh, you know, those who are maybe depressed or, or sad, those who are literally poor are blessed. And in fact, we, we see this connection. Um, there's, a, there's a deeper theology around suffering that is at work here. Um, and that Luke appears to be trying to uh, address, or and, and Jesus, of course, is addressing as well. Uh, in the ancient culture, and especially the Old and the New Testament, we see this prominent theme that if you were wealthy, or if you had a lot of uh, possessions, if you were in good health, then that was a sign of God's blessing upon your life. And it was also an indication that you were considered a righteous person. And the best example of this is the, is the story of Job in the Old Testament. Job is regarded as a righteous man. 
but he's also wealthy and he also has, he's in good health and he has a lot of possessions. And when through the story, as these things are taken away and he undergoes uh, one blow after another and experiences really, really deep suffering, his friends come around him and they tell him that he must have done something wrong for all of these bad things to happen to him. And they continually really nag him to repent of these sins because, uh, you know, then maybe God will relent from the punishment. They saw this, and again, this continued uh, even into the New Testament. They saw these things as signs of God's punishment. If something bad were to happen to you, then maybe that was God punishing you. And if you were experiencing a significant um, loss of, you know, losses in your family or your health suddenly deteriorated or uh, uh, you lost wealth, then that was a sign of God's punishment because you've done something wrong. We see that thought then in the New Testament in John chapter 9, where as Jesus is with his disciples, they refer to a blind man off to the side of the road and they said, uh, teacher, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind. And Jesus, so you see this, this um, again, this idea that because he was blind, something happened, some type of sin um, is reflected in this life because only if you're uh, only the blind, only the lame, only the poor um, are experiencing God's, God's wrath, therefore they're not righteous. And Jesus says to them, no one sinned, neither of them sinned, but this man was born blind so that God could reveal his glory. And in that moment, he heals the blind man. It reflects this theology regarding wealth and blessing and prosperity and, and suffering uh, and the, the cause and effect relationship that was there that was incorrect. And so for the Jewish people, they looked at the poor, they looked at people who had been, uh, you know, handed a, 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 you know, just a really bad uh, life, uh, so to speak, that they had, had been born into hardship. They looked at them and saw, um, saw that something was wrong, that they were unrighteous. And when Jesus says in those Beatitudes, blessed are the poor, it's as if he's turning that whole perspective on its head. And he is saying, uh, and, and, and at times we have interpreted that to say, well, maybe we need to be poor in order to be blessed. Maybe we need to be poor in order to, uh, to truly receive God's blessing. But what Jesus seems to be saying there, not, not elevating poverty, and not elevating the poor in spirit or those who are uh, struggling in their spirit or their emotions, but rather saying that these people whom you normally would not think are part of God's kingdom, these people who normally do not have a place, these people whom you would normally think are unrighteous are actually welcome in God's kingdom. They are just as blessed as you are who are rich. They are just as blessed 
as you are who have a lot of things. That all are invited to participate in and be part of God's kingdom. Over the years, we have uh, struggled to understand wealth. And we have struggled to understand uh, money and its right uh, and its place in our lives. We have, uh, again, we have elevated uh, people who are poor or even poverty as if to, um, again, as if to say that's really those who are truly blessed. They truly experience God's grace and his blessing more than those who have wealth. And we look at stories like the, um, the rich young ruler, the parable there, or the, the story that Jesus talks about. And we look at uh, verses in, in Timothy where Paul says uh, that the love of money is the root of all evil. And it's important that you say that whole thing because uh, I often hear, uh, and maybe you do too, that people will say money is the root of all evil. And that's not what Paul said. He said the love of money is the root of all evil. And when he's telling the rich, uh, the rich man, you know, this rich man comes to Jesus and says, uh, you know, Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says to him, well, you know, what are the, the commandments? How do you understand them? Where I'm to love the Lord, your Lord, love the Lord, your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself, you know, essentially obey the commandments, um, uh, obey the commandments and you'll have life. And, and the rich, uh, young ruler says, well, I've done all of that. I, I've kept all of the commandments from the time I was born until now. And Jesus says, okay, but you still lack one thing. Sell all of your possessions and give to the poor. And then come follow me. And the story says that this rich uh, ruler, this rich young man, walks away sad. because he was unwilling to give up the thing that he valued the most. He was unwilling to surrender lordship of his life to Christ. The lordship of his life belonged in his wealth and his possessions. Jesus didn't call all to give up their possessions. In fact, uh, we know that Jesus's ministry was supported uh, by, by wealthy people. In fact, I love that, that he's supported by, by wealthy women and that you see that in Luke. Um, I just think that's a, that's a pretty cool thing that he highlights there. Jesus's ministry was supported by, by people, all types of people. And there were wealthy people, I'm sure, who were following Jesus and wealthy people after The issue is not that this rich young ruler had wealth. Jesus knew that this rich young ruler was really ruled by his wealth. And that what he, this ruler, needed to give up was money because it had possession of him rather than he having possession of it. Money and wealth um, are not in and of themselves the issue and neither getting rid of it nor amassing it will impact our spiritual formation or our soul unless 
the getting rid of it or the amassing it becomes our focus. They, people have often used the phrase that poverty uh, is a mindset. And while I understand that phrase, um, it's, it's, and it, I think in, in certain situations it's true that you can have uh, a ton of wealth and still have a, a poverty mindset. Um, or really in that situation, more of a scarcity mindset as if there's not enough wealth for everybody and you have to make sure that you get your, uh, you get your wealth because uh, you're constantly worried that you will never have enough. The truth is that poverty is a reality and it, it brings up issues of income inequality, particularly in our world today, in the 21st century, and uh, in, in societies all over the world that are growing and thriving and capitalism is flourishing um, as nations are growing and technology is moving at, at a faster and faster rate and, and people, uh, less and less, fewer and fewer people are living uh, below the poverty line more and more societies are growing. Um, and several years ago, I had the opportunity to be part of um, a kind of a, a group that has since grown into something even bigger. And, um, and it comes from uh, Bob and Pat Kern. I believe they have since passed away. Um, he created the Generac Generator and uh, uh, both Christians um, and though they weren't pastors themselves, they, out of their wealth, they gave incredibly to scholarships. I benefited uh, from one of those that was to train and equip and, and uh, educate pastors. And so one of my master's degree I, I got for free as part of this scholarship, as part of this foundation. And as I stayed connected with this foundation after I graduated, it, it uh, grew into something that began to emphasize the importance of uh, building economies and societies uh, and, and that, that the name for that group uh, it has become uh, made to flourish. It, it originally was mo uh, moving in this direction of faith work and economics and and has since turned into something that has really just grown to 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 encourage the idea that that we are not just here to survive life to get our ticket punched to heaven and to make sure that everybody else gets their ticket punched to heaven but that there is a value in our work there's a value in the things that we do. And, and not everybody is called to full-time ministry. Everybody is called to make disciples. And everybody is called to follow Jesus and be discipled. But not everybody is called to, to full-time vocational ministry. And the majority of people who are not have still a calling and a purpose on their lives to do something in the midst of their growing and becoming more like Jesus. That God has called us to be builders and teachers and, um, uh, you know, food makers and, and people are artists and creative and, and uh, I couldn't think of the word for food makers, <laughs> chefs, you know, people who cook food. You can tell that I am not one. 
Um, I like to eat, but I don't necessarily like to make food. But you know, he's created all. Uh, we have, he's created in us these abilities. In amazing gardeners and and again, people who know how to create in various ways. People are good with numbers. I am not good with numbers. My mind hurts. My brain hurts after thinking a lot about numbers or accounting. People who are actually, you know, really good with money that God has created and gifted us with these vocations so that we are able to build up societies and flourish. And that brings God glory and that helps other people to flourish. And then I love the example, a, a, a conference that I attended years ago as part of this, uh, part of this network. I love the example that was given about a couple um, it was actually a family, I think, who raised a lot of money and who were going to go down to Haiti. This was after uh, the earthquake that was in Haiti in 2010. They were going to go down to Haiti and then they, and they were going to adopt some children and bring them back to the United States. And when they got there and they're interacting with these mothers and these kids who they, these mothers were putting these kids up for adoption. And and th this couple, they asked them, they said, why are you giving your children up for adoption? Don't you want to keep them? And the mother said, of course we want to keep them. We can't afford to keep them. We can't afford to feed them. We can't afford to take care of them. And we're hoping that somebody else can. And it occurred to this couple that what was needed here more than adopting these kids was to actually help these parents. More than adopting these kids out of poverty, what was needed was to help these parents get out of poverty. And so they stayed in Haiti and they established a business. And it was through that business they were able to keep these families together. They employed the parents and the parents were able to keep their kids. I think that's such a beautiful example of ministering to others and helping others achieve their calling and their purpose in life. Income inequality and poverty are realities. And though the world is is moving and even in really remote places in third world countries they are changing and it is becoming uh, uh, in some ways less and less however the more wealth and uh, opportunities we have some people have there will still be those who do not have the same opportunities or the same starting point Not everybody has the same, uh, starts on the same playing field. People who are born into poverty 
into the remotest or, or the, the places in the world like Haiti or other places where there are not options. They're born into a family that has no money. They're not born into a free market uh, society such as uh, we are blessed with here in the United States. They are on a different playing field, a different starting point than somebody who was born in the United States. I, I uh, grew up in a big family a lot of kids. And um, even though I grew up in, I think, a middle class area and neighborhood and went to uh, a church that was full of both middle class and very wealthy people um, in, a, in a kind of suburban white area, my family and I were poor. And I obviously, I, I don't think kids really understand how poor they are um, unless it's staring them in the face, unless they go without food. And I'm grateful that we didn't ever go without food. There was more than enough food in the house, but I didn't realize how poor we were until much later as I, I grew closer to, uh, closer to becoming an adult. And, and life was not easy. Life was challenging. Um, money was scarce. Uh, college came at the at the expense of, of student loans and and other forms of, of support in order to to get through it. But even I and my experience, as as difficult it was, had a much better advantage than let's say somebody else who grew up in not just uh, being poor but actual poverty maybe in, in um, whether growing up or being born into homelessness or being born uh, of a different ethnic group or being born in an urban area where opportunities were even more scarce. I had access uh, in my, uh, through my church, through, through uh, various things that, that my parents were able to do and support. I had opportunities that I know other people that did not. I had opportunities to to travel the United States and and participate in things uh, 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 quizzes and competitions over studying uh, the Bible. I had opportunities to go on mission trips and camps and and I knew uh, uh, especially later on how much the church even helped to kind of sponsor some of us and others who who came from maybe similar backgrounds. I had opportunities that I know others did not. I remember at 14, on a missions trip to Chicago, urban, urban Chicago, a part of Chicago called uh, Cabrini Green, which I believe is still um, as, as dark and difficult as it was way back then in the, in the projects essentially of Chicago. And looking at these kids growing up in true poverty, growing up in societies that, uh, um, it, essentially society that will look at them differently than they were than they will a a little white girl from uh, suburban Orange County California I had different opportunities than others did I had different access to different opportunities than others did and it's those types of things this uh, not merely income inequality, but a true understanding of equity. 
that not everybody has the same starting point. Not everybody has the same access. Well, I, I do believe in, uh, in the ideas and uh, in, in some, some of the ideas that have really uh, made America great. The idea that um, the less restrictions upon people, the better. The, the thinking of them as entrepreneurs and the ability to create businesses. I do believe in the small business owner and, and even the large business owner who is able to create jobs for others. And I, I love, I know a lot of people who own their own businesses and employ others. And I just, I believe that that is just as much uh, an important vocation as the, as the pastor or the missionary, because I know what that can do for those people as it not only helps them to, uh, to, to achieve and find ways uh, to succeed and utilize their gifts and talents, that work and finding our purpose is just as much a part of our spiritual formation um, as going to church and, and uh, other spiritual disciplines. And I believe firmly in that. But the free market and capitalist system that, that is present in America doesn't solve every problem as it relates to income inequality, poverty, and equity. And all of this brings up a deeper issue that goes beyond even poverty and the soul. It goes into themes of corporate and social responsibility in the areas of spiritual formation. I've mentioned before that spiritual formation is often seen in terms of, of how my, my own soul is growing. How am I growing in my relationship with the Lord? How am I becoming uh, better at you know, managing my anger or uh, managing temptations? We often, too often, see spiritual formation as a solitary journey as something that I am alone responsible for and that is really only about me. And yet an important part of spiritual formation is our corporate and our social responsibility. It is our relationship with others and our relationship uh, and responsibility, responsibilities to others. I love how the authors of Boundaries, a very important book, and if you haven't read it, I highly recommend it. Much easier to read, by the way, than The Spirit of the Disciplines. Both very good books, uh, but Boundaries is much easier to read by, by Henry Cloud and John Townsend. And they talk about uh, this idea, Christian psychologists, they say that, you know, we, we are not responsible for others, but we have a responsibility to others. We are not responsible for the actions of others. We are not responsible uh, for people and the things that they do, but I have a responsibility to somebody. I have a responsibility, according to Jesus, to love my neighbor as myself. And of course, when Jesus is pressed for uh, who exactly is he referring to when he says our neighbor? In Luke chapter 10, he tells us who our neighbor is in the story of the Good Samaritan. He is the person to whom we come across who, who is in need. 
just like the Samaritan came across this Jewish man, half beaten, half dead, lying by the side of the road. Our neighbor is anybody and everybody, and especially those whom we come across who are in need. This concept has has been resonating with me over the last few years if we, as we have struggled to come out of uh, a global, global pandemic. And I have personally wrestled with this and trying to understand what is my responsibility in a world that is, it felt, uh, it, it, it still feels at times, but it certainly felt out of control. As I, uh, as I watched and heard stories of people that I knew who caught COVID and, and who passed away, or family members that I was very worried about would, would catch it and it would affect them. As I heard reports of, of people, uh, hospitals being overrun, but as I also heard reports of businesses and churches who were affected by these shutdowns and who some, in some situations, have yet to fully recover. As I have wrestled with questions like the vaccine and whether or not to get it and what my responsibility is to others. I'm not a big fan of, of vaccines. I'm not a big fan of needles. I don't know anybody who is, uh, truthfully. I, I don't ever get the flu vaccine. It just seems... Uh, silly to me. Although if I were in poor health, I, I might think differently. I, I'm neither uh, adamantly against it, nor am I all for uh, vaccines. I just kind of stay away from that stuff unless they make me get one. Um, you know, like I've, if I've injured my foot on a rusty nail, you know, um, and they make me get a tetanus shot maybe. But um, when the vaccine came out, the COVID vaccine, it was a question for me. It was a question of uh, what is my ethical responsibility? Um, I chose to get the vaccine. I chose to get the, the first one and the second one. Because for me, for me, and not for anybody else, this was my personal conviction, the thought of catching COVID and giving it to somebody else was one of, uh, was such a burden on me. I didn't want to be responsible for somebody else's sickness or injury. And that I wanted to be part of the solution. In fact, uh, somebody at, uh, at work caught it fairly early on. And uh, those of us who are around this person, we joked around. We all had to quarantine uh, and work from home, but we kind of joked that we all wished we had got it because we wanted, we wanted to get it over with. And I, I, I don't want to joke around at something that really has been serious, but you know, we were just like, ah, oh, I just want this to be done. Like, let's just get it and get it over with. Now I did eventually get, uh, COVID. Um, and even after the, uh, um, uh, the two shots, and I will just say that I, um, I don't know what it would have been like before, but I'm so thankful um, that, that, uh, that I only got it once so far because it was not fun. Uh, and so it didn't, didn't keep me from getting it. But I was okay 
with that. And even though I didn't like the side effects, uh, it made me feel a little weird afterward. It was a little bit, it was a little bit challenging. My personal conviction, and again, it's not saying anything about you. I don't want to get into a political debate about whether you should or shouldn't um, or any of that. For me, it became about, it, it was a choice, and it was a choice that I was comfortable making. I wasn't comfortable making the other choice of not getting it. I was in fairly good health, uh, not any serious health issues, and I felt like I wanted to get it for those who couldn't. Because there are some people who really, really couldn't. It would have been a, a physical uh, problem for them. And I wanted to get it for those people who couldn't so that I wouldn't contribute to their sickness. And, you know, as I, I think about that even more and coming on the other side of, of the pandemic, although we're still, again, in the midst of it, now we're dealing with like a triple triple, uh, uh, I don't know if it's a pandemic, but we're dealing with the RSV, the flu, and COVID. It's, it's not fun um, as people are, are getting sick all over again, and, and it, it isn't good. One of the things that occurred to me is that, you know, me in my situation, I, I had a choice. I could get it. I could get the vaccine or not get it. What would it have been like had I been a, a single parent in a situation um, where I can't afford to be sick. I can't afford to have my kids home from school. Can't afford to homeschool them. My choices are a lot less. What if I'm in a situation where uh, if, if I am in, uh, don't have a lot and the choice is either get the vaccine or you can't come to work or, and especially during the pandemic as so many things were shut down, schools were shut down and uh, parents who had to go to work in person who didn't have the luxury of working from home but also didn't have anybody to watch their kids, had to make choices like quit their job and be at home with their kids or leave their young kids home and, and not making sure that they were doing their school while they had to go to work. That has hit me lately that there are things that I can take for granted that there are things that, that, that we don't always, I think, fully understand from other people's perspective, particularly if there are differences in, in income levels or access. And unfortunately, this issue of poverty, income inequality, and, and equity, unfortunately, it becomes such a, a political debate that we spend most of our time arguing about who has the moral high ground that we can't seem to stop arguing and actually come together to truly help those who need help.
who is our neighbor? Our neighbor are those we come in contact who need our help. And they may need help in different ways, whether if you have a job opportunity and they need a job or, or if they uh, need uh, uh, money or food or whatever it might be, or health care. Health care is a continuing huge issue in our society. And it reflects a significant lack of equity. Not everybody has access to the same level of health care or opportunities. And I don't have the answer for that. And I don't have the answer uh, to solve the poverty and the inequality issue. And I don't want to get into political arguments about it. I'm tired of arguing. I just want to help. My soul wants to help. My soul in its formation needs to help. Blessed, blessed are the poor. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are they, for theirs is the kingdom of God. While poverty isn't a spiritual discipline in and of itself, and while wealth doesn't define our level of spirituality, Wealth, possessions, opportunities, access are given to us for us to be good stewards. And in that stewardship of our resources, and I believe uh, that wealth can really, can really be used in such amazing ways to help others. I have been the beneficiary of other people's generosity. And when even in our, our uh, even in our poverty, if we are poor, literally, when we find ways to give and to help others, when we realize that there is, there is no need to have a scarcity mindset because God is ultimately the provider and that we are to care and share and, and give to others. Our soul is continuing to be formed like Christ. Jesus had one life to give and he gave it. He gave it all. And he calls us to to deny ourselves and take up our cross, to let go of our wants, our desires, our own possessions, the things that have possession of us, and to be willing to give 
and to live our lives for him. That is part of that discipleship and spiritual formation process. And I pray that as we are um, headed into the Christmas season, a season full uh, meant to be filled with joy and peace regardless of our situation, that we would find a connection between giving and sharing and helping, that we would connect with the responsibilities that we have to others to care and to give so that we might help others, help others find God's plan for their lives, help others in times of need and truly reflect the gospel message, the great news that Jesus came to bring. Well, thanks for listening to this episode on Poverty in the Soul, episode 21. Um, And I would love to hear from you if you want to dialogue with me about this. Uh, The Nefesh podcast at gmail.com. Feel free to email me and we will talk with you next week. Take care.